It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder, and we have been going through a four-part series on godly discernment. This is such an important issue for the times in which we live. We've talked a lot about how to be led by truth versus feelings, how to be replacing lies with truth, how to esteem the Word of God, how to exchange an open mind for a canon mind. And this week, I want to specifically talk about how to confront sin and error in a godly way, because as we start to gain discernment and grow in godly wisdom, what we will often see around us is error in lives of other Christians or error in maybe the church that we're a part of. And it is so important to understand that true godly wisdom is not just having wisdom or standing for truth, but having wisdom and standing for truth in a God-honoring way. I think a lot of times if the enemy can't get us with deception, he will try to get us with an arrogant, prideful attitude towards people who are ensnared by error and are not really seeing the truth clearly. It's it's very easy as Christians be, to become so frustrated towards other Christians who are not seeing clearly that we become arrogant and prideful and harsh towards those who aren't walking completely in the light or not walking completely according to truth. There's a really convicting quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, God never gives us discernment so that we may criticize, but so that we may intercede. And isn't that amazing? We gain this discernment, and then the immediate temptation that Satan plants in our hearts is, it's time for you to criticize and judge all these other people and nitpick them because they aren't seeing as clearly as you are seeing. And God says, no, this is an opportunity for you to intercede for them, to love them, and to pray for them rather than criticize them. It says in James 20, it says in James 1.20 that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is a very powerful scripture because you re- you recognize that if you are approaching any situation with human fleshly anger, it's not going to produce the righteousness of God in your own life or in the life of the person that you're seeking to influence. And I think we would do so well to remember this scripture when we're trying to confront sin and error in someone's life, that we're not just bursting in there with the wrath of man because it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. We have to have a godly attitude, a Christ-honoring attitude for the truth that we're speaking to actually make any kind of a difference. So true wisdom is hallmarked by some very specific things. When we are marked by selfishness and fleshly anger and pride, that is not God's wisdom. It says in James 3, 15 and 16, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and ever and every evil thing are there. So we have to guard against that false wisdom that the enemy often baits us towards as we start to grow in godly discernment. The bottom line is this, we are never to confuse discernment with a critical spirit. I've known Christians that have had a very critical spirit towards other Christians, but they believe that they're walking in discernment. But unless their version of wisdom lines up with God's version of wisdom, it's not true wisdom. So we need to be aware of having a zeal for God, but not of knowledge, as it says in Romans 10 too, like many well-meaning Christians today who in their passion to fight for God's glory, look down on those that disagree with them and treat them with 
contempt. So again, it's not merely standing for truth that matters, but standing for truth in God's way. When Eric was growing up, he had an older sister that was very close to God and really radically gave her life to Jesus from an early age. And Eric, on the other hand, was kind of the typical shallow Christian teenager who was very selfish, living for his own pleasure, and not really walking. He was professing Christianity, but not really living it out. And she had such a burden for him. And over the years, she prayed just continually for him. He mocked her. He called her the saint, you know, mockingly, and made fun of her stand with Jesus Christ. And instead of being critical towards him or very like demeaning towards the fact that he wasn't really living out his Christianity, she just continued to love him and pray for him. And finally, all of those prayers paid off. And later in his life in college, he radically gave his life to Jesus. And the first person that he called was his sister. And she just cried because God showed her that instead of just criticizing and being angry with him as she prayed and loved It was amazing to see how the power of God worked in her brother's life. And so if we are willing to take that path, the path of true wisdom, to say we are going to wrestle and intercede and pray for this person and love this person, and if we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love, not just in fleshly anger, that that can really make a life-changing difference in someone's life. So I want to look quickly at how to keep a humble yet discerning heart when you approach others in the body of Christ. And the first principle is not to be wise in your own eyes. As you start to gain discernment and start to see truth clearly, one of the biggest temptations is start to be wise in your own eyes and think you have everything figured out. There is something that our staff here at Ellerslie has referred to over the years as the spirit of the age, and it has crept into the church. And it's basically sort of this arrogant attitude that says, I see clearly, and I'm going to look down on anybody else that doesn't see clearly, and I'll even be disrespectful towards my parents and my church leaders and people who have invested in my life if I don't like what they're saying and I think I'm seeing more clearly than them. So it's like this disrespectful, arrogant spirit. It says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And then in Isaiah 5, 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And this is especially a temptation when we are young. The younger we are, usually the more prone we are to that spirit of the age, being wise in our own eyes, thinking we have everything figured out. And in fact, if you've ever studied the definition of a sophomore, it actually means a moron who thinks he is wise. So if you're a sophomore in high school or college, no offense, please, but that is oftentimes the the temptation that we fall into in those formative years of our life that we see clearly and everybody else, you know, just doesn't have it figured out. We need to recognize that even the Apostle Paul admitted that he had not fully arrived in his Christian journey, and he had more wisdom than probably any other Christian we could point to in history. But he says in Philippians 3.12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So if he didn't have everything figured out, he had not already arrived or already attained, then who are we to think that we do? So let's keep a humble attitude and say, I don't have everything figured out. I'm not going to become wise in my own eyes. I am wise according to the wisdom God has given me, but it's wisdom that has been given me by God, and I want to steward that in a God-honoring way. Another key practical is to guard against self-justification. It is very easy to gain a a critical spirit towards others when we are entrenched in self-justification. 
Jesus said in Luke 16, 15, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And that was what the Pharisees lived to do was justify themselves before men. And they looked down their noses at everybody else. But because that was because they were entrenched in self-justification. I've been on both sides of self-justification. I had a young woman in my life who loved my books on purity, and then she fell into sin and hated my books on purity and you know, marked them up and threw them across the room and justified why they were totally off track. And then when she made her life right with God again, she loved them again. So it was really interesting. She went through this whole roller coaster ride of love-hate with these books because the truth was, was her ally when she was aligned with truth, and it was her enemy when she wasn't aligned with truth. And that self-justification is what caused her to despise the truth in that season of her life. I've also fallen into the trap of self-justification at different times in my life. I remember a time when a godly older woman in my life confronted me about a movie that I had recommended to people, and I loved this movie. And she said, why do you feel comfortable as a Christian allowing this movie to be something you endorse and recommend? And I I was very self-justifying. I thought, you know, this girl is so judgmental. She's got legalism problems. And I constantly looked at ways I could tear her down and discredit her versus saying, Lord, do you want to speak to me through this person's words? And later when God did convict me about my movie choices, I looked back on that situation and I said, you know, it wasn't that she was being critical or judgmental or legalistic. It was because I was self-justifying that I had such a prideful attitude and I couldn't really walk in truth. So be on guard against self-justification because when you're trying to justify yourself, the first thing that happens is you start to criticize other people who are walking in the light. Another practical is to choose the lowest place. We need to understand that God has called us to walk that humble road of humility, the same path that he walked. So when we come into the body of Christ and we have that burden to see them discover truth, we're maybe seeing error, we're seeing where they're off base. Our attitude should be one of a servant, of washing their feet, not coming in with this booming voice and criticizing and being mad and you know screaming and yelling and making a huge big statement, but saying, how do I serve and wash their feet and humbly love them and win them over with my love and my prayers? There are times when we need to speak boldly and when we're seeing error, but that needs to be something that God leads us to do through a lot of prayer. It needs to be the appropriate type of situation, the appropriate place. And in general, if we choose the lowest place and we become a servant and we gain that heart of love and compassion towards our fellow believers in Christ, God will use that so much more powerfully than going on a fleshly tirade against them with what we're seeing in their lives. So a few scriptures on this, James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. A lot of times if people see you just humbly living out the gospel in your life, they will come to you and ask you questions and they will want to correct the error in their lives because they see the humility in your life. They see that you're living in truth, but also that you are you are humble and you're loving as you're living out this truth. In Luke 19, 17, Jesus says, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. So this is a parable of talking about how God entrusts us with position and influence and authority in his kingdom when we are faithful with what he puts right in front of us. So if we are faithful to cultivate those small opportunities to stand for him and to love other people and serve other people in the body, he will lift us to a place where we can speak more boldly and have those opportunities to speak truth and to situations where maybe lies are are taking over. And so again, don't just burst in there with your passion and your, you know, waving a Bible around, say, Lord, how can I serve? How can I take the lowest place? And oftentimes through that loving servant-hearted attitude, doors will open for you to speak into somebody's life. 
Another practical is to remove the plank from your own eye. We need to remember that we cannot speak bold truth into anybody's life when we have a plank of sin in our own life. So, of course, this comes from Luke 6.42, where Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. If you are feeling led by God to speak truth into someone's life, to confront error that you see in other believers' lives, I would really encourage you to go before God before you ever take that step and let him shine his searchlight within your soul. Deal with any inconsistencies that you might have in your own life. Let him cleanse you of those habitual sins that maybe you've allowed in. Let him reveal to you wrong motives of pride and selfishness or whatever it might be. Let him purge you of a critical spirit and really make your your life right with him, your heart right with him. That is what it means to remove the plank for your, from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to speak truth into somebody else's life. So don't just go in there bursting in there with your desire to correct. Go before God in a spirit of humility and say, Lord, take the plank out of my eye so that I will see clearly to speak your truth. And remember, ultimately, that we are just vessels of God. It is only God who can change a person's life. It is only God who can truly convict of sin. And we are just tools and vessels that he can choose to work through in that process. Let's not get in the way of the work that God wants to do in somebody else's life because we are adopting a harsh, selfish, prideful, critical spirit. If you are concerned about something going on in your church, if you're concerned about a Christian in your life, I would encourage you not to underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer is oftentimes the afterthought because we want to run in there and with our brilliant debate skills, convince somebody. But prayer can open doors and make them malleable to truth that would never have happened if we had just gone in there and started to debate with them. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. It is our most important weapon that we have in fighting against the lies of today. And let God do this powerful work of of replacing lies with truth in other people's lives. We are tools and vessels in his hands, and it happens through prayer. It happens through humility. It doesn't happen through a critical spirit. So I would encourage you this week to lay this area of your life before God and say, Lord, if I'm seeing error in the lives of somebody else, if I have discernment that something's off here, show me how you would have me respond. Can I pray for them more? Can I serve them more? Can I love them more? Can I lead by example? And if I am to speak the truth boldly into their life, Let me make my own heart right before you and let me do it in a spirit of love and humility. We can be incredible instruments of change in the body of Christ today when we walk in step with God and not run ahead in our own pride. God bless. If you are a wife and a mother of young children, have you ever wondered if it's really possible to not just survive that season of your life, but to thrive through it? I've created an eight-week course called Marriage and Motherhood, and it's all about bringing Christ into the center of marriage and family. And I'll be sharing with you some of the most important biblical truths that have really strengthened me throughout my 25 years of marriage and my 15 years of motherhood. And I pray that you'll be blessed by this course. I'm very excited about it. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. 
join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.